Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. All of God's children said, Amen. As I mentioned in our announcements today, of course, is the first Sunday in Lent. We began Lent actually on Wednesday of this past week when we determined that we are dust and to dust we shall return for those who received ashes and communion on Wednesday. But we come here today on this first Sunday in Lent to take this journey to look at developing our spiritual practices, if we already have them, develop them better, or to turn back to them so that we can continue to turn towards God and away from sin. We do this, again, to deepen our faith journey. We're called during this time to let go of things that keep us from the abundant life and serving God and serving each other. It's within that context of Lent and turning back to God and spiritual practices that I begin a series of sermons based on the book by Reverend Adam Hamilton called The Walk, Five Essential Practices of the Christian Life. These practices kind of parallel and mirror the ones that Methodism's founder John Wesley put together that we refer to as the means of grace. He talked about holy communion and prayer and worship and holy conferencing, searching the scriptures. What Hamilton shares and what Wesley would as well is that these practices keep us on the path. They keep us on the path of faith and away from those things in the world that are noisy and clanging and trying to grab our attention. So we begin today in this first sermon with the spiritual practice of worship and prayer. And I would have to say we often think we know how those things function and what they are as a part of our faith, but as we know, we can often make mistakes from now and then and get them wrong. But let me start this way. Last year, our granddaughter Clara was at a friend's house, and Clara was four at the time, and her friend was the same age, and the two of them rode on what I call kids' quads. They don't have a lot of power. They're four-wheelers. They're basically battery-operated. You have to charge them uh, with a wall outlet for a little bit, but they don't go very fast, and they, they do a lot of turning and stuff, but it's a lot of kid fun. And Tommy, her dad, shared a video with us, and we saw this big smile as she was driving across, and her friend Dylan was following her, and they ended up <laughs> going through his mother's garden, running into the dad's pickup truck, and also taking out a couple of uh, lights along the path. (laughs) They had fun. They destroyed a lot of stuff, but they had fun. She was so excited to ride it. The only thing she didn't like, of course, as you saw in the video, was the helmet that she had to wear. Well, Kathy and I had an opportunity and had some money, and we thought, you know what, we're going to buy one of those four, and we did. And again, she hated the idea of wearing a helmet. But there she was in the parking lot behind Furwood Church, riding around on it, and it even had a cheap radio in it. I don't even know how to change the channels, but somehow she figured it out, and I don't know how she got it, but she got Spanish music playing. And she's riding around, waving to us, and huge smiles, and we laughed and took videos and pictures of her. We do things for each other. 
We offer gifts to one another, and we do that in a way of sharing our love for each other. We also do that in hopes that what we offer brings excitement in some way, shape, or form. That's what Kathy and I did with Clara. That's what we do at other times, whether it's birthdays or anniversaries or Christmas. We offer these gifts as a way of saying thank you for who you are. Have you ever thought about the gifts that God has given you? Start by thinking out, thinking about the creation, the world that we live in, not the circumstances, but the world itself, the beauty within it, because that world is an expression of love from God to each and every one of us. And as you think about that expression of love from God to us, I ask you to think of this question that Adam Hamilton poses in the book. How do we respond to a gift of this world that God created? We say thank you, right? The expressions of thank you God and I love you God are at the essence, at the heart of what we do in worship and are also the most basic form of prayer. To grow and mature in faith, our first essential practice is to worship and to pray. We see and hear about worship and prayer throughout Scripture, time and again. Jesus lived by it. You were created for it. For as long as we can know about the Christian church's history, worship and prayer have been the foundation of the spiritual life of God's people. Your soul was made for worship. You were created for worship. Worship in so many forms is a response of the creature to the creator, to the eternal, if you will, that is God. Some have argued that worship goes further than that. A Catholic writer, Evelyn Underhill, writes that we ought not to limit worship to just being humankind that worships. She says, and I quote, we may think of the whole of the universe, seen and unseen, conscious and unconscious, as an act of worship. In other words, everything that God has created is a reflection of God's glory. Does that make sense to you? The trees might not worship with a voice, but they do in their own way. I mean, the birds singing in the springtime, the leaves turning a beautiful color palette in the fall, the moon and the stars against the dark sky all declare God's praise. As much as we don't like the birds in spring outside of our windows singing, they can't help but sing. The stars can't help but shine, but we as human beings have a choice. We have to decide whether we give praise to God or we don't. We have to decide whether to praise or glorify God with our lives or not. No matter what the decision, there's something deep inside of us that longs to worship just as the birds need to sing. I continue to be amazed at the coldness of the world around us. People running in 900 different directions, not paying attention to anyone. And while just holding a door for someone is an act of kindness, the question in this coldness of the world is, will people appreciate that simple act by simply offering two words? Thank you. If someone does that to you, what do you say? Do you say thank you or just walk through the door? 
Sadly, I've experienced fewer people saying thank you these days for doing just that simple act of kindness. Those two words, thank you, are two of the most important words you can say to someone. We all want to be appreciated, but because people aren't saying those words doesn't mean I stop doing it. Those two words of thank you go a long way in building a relationship with one another. And the three other words that are just as important are, I love you. They are the three most important words, but they are also the three hardest words in the English language to say to each other. Yet it's important for us to express those words to those around us. Thank you. I love you. And it's important to express those words to the one who created us. You and I were created as objects of God's love and affection, and we were created to give God the glory. The earliest expression of worship that we found in our scriptures involves bringing an offering to God. Maybe one sacrificed some of their crops or flocks as an expression of gratitude and love for God. Our worship is an offering we bring not to get favors from God, but to express our love and our gratitude to God. All the words used to express the word worship in the Bible involve a definition that include bowing down, humbling oneself before God. Even in the words that we heard Rachel read today, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. While we often think of worship being about us as individuals, notice the words in this psalm. It is a call for the community of faith to worship together. Now compare that to the one we really know, Psalm 23. In the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23, in fact, is an individual call to worship God. Both worshiping in a community of faith and doing it individually in our daily lives is an important part of who we are. We are called to do both. We gather as a community. We're called to pray with and for one another, giving thanks to God, saying, I love you, God, singing psalms and hymns together, breaking bread together as we will today in communion with Christ and with each other. We confess our sins to one another and to God. You might not have noticed the change in the prayer this morning, the prayer of confession. Typically, that is a corporate prayer of confession. But as we come into Lent, it is about not just our corporate prayer, but about our individual relationship with God. Notice the pronoun changes when you get a chance. But as we come together, we reflect together on Scripture so that we can be more faithful in following Christ, we are to encourage each other to a life of love, to doing good and doing no harm. We collect offerings that express our love and gratitude. All of our worships, all of our worship experience has these elements. Worship is not about attending something. Worship is something that we do. There's something about singing and praying and listening and connecting with others in worship that our souls need. Even after the worship is over, the building of relationships and being in community with others remains even more important long after we've been here 
after 9.30. We are meant to build relationships with others and outside in the community. These relationships built around our shared common faith are not only critically important to our spiritual health, they're even important to our mental and physical health. Studies continue to show that people who are actively engaged in church and other faith activities have a better physical and mental health and live longer. Yet sadly, statistics are showing that Christians are worshiping less frequently. There was a time when there were, if there were four or five Sundays in the month, you knew where somebody would be in church, in worship. And now instead of three out of four or four out of five on a Sunday, many Christians are now worshiping two out of four. The studies show there are hosts of reasons. Some have to do with children, others with people worshiping online from home, etc. Drive-by communion. Some churches had that this past Wednesday. Some have drive-by ashes. Before you had your ashes when you drove by, did you confess your sins before God? I have to wonder how they do that. I just, you take that out of the element of worship and I'm not sure it is what it's supposed to be. But the fact that people have so many options today makes it that much easier to miss a gathering together as a community. Because people now work not just 40 hours, but 60 or 80 a week. Sometimes the only day they have off is Sunday. So why would I give up my Sunday day off to do another thing. Hamilton mentioned in the book that at the Church of the Resurrection where he pastors, their goal was to get folks to 90% attendance a year. That meant folks didn't miss at least five weeks of worship. That's all they could miss to get that 90%. They used name tags out there on a regular basis, so they decided that for those folks who didn't miss, and made that 90%, they'd get a sticker on their name tag if they attended 90% or more. You know, to be honest, that might seem a silly thing, but we as human beings respond to positive reinforcement and being held accountable for things. And those stickers on their name tag, in some small way, as silly as it might seem, provided an incentive to be present. Our community worship of the faithful is to be prayerful, too. And so is our personal daily worship outside of this particular worship time. Our daily personal worship should be composed of our prayers and our actions. In our prayers, we praise God, we confess, we petition God for help for ourselves and others. We give thanks, we say, I love you, God. And while prayer should have all of those parts... Again, we should clearly say thank you so we can capture the full dimension of all of our prayer. Daily worship and expressions of thankfulness shape us to become people whose hearts are defined by one word, gratitude. Much like worship, building relationships is good for our spiritual, mental, and physical health. Expressing thanks and gratitude to each other does the same thing. I want to be clear about saying thank you and gratitude. We say those things in worship, whether it's daily or here in our community setting, as a way to say thanks, because not because everything's going great, 
but we give thanks because life itself is a gift from God. By being grateful for that gift of life, it helps us to recenter, to refocus, move towards happiness that we might take our eyes off of our complaints, off of the bad things that are happening, and focus on the blessings. Prayer has a powerful impact on our lives, but we have to be honest, we neglect it often. Statistics show that 41% of men and 59% of women report praying at least once a day. Having just heard that statistic and those about attending worship, I'm challenging you this Lent to change the statistics, to change the statistics about attending worship and how often you pray. The first, I'm challenging you to be in worship. There are five Sundays in March. I'm challenging you today to be at least at four of them. That doesn't mean you get a vacation of two weeks afterwards. I'm just challenging you to put your faith in action and be in community four out of the five Sundays. Secondly, I'm challenging you to pray five times each day, and you're like, oh, no. Five? Are you kidding me? When am I going to do that? Prayers are easy. They can just be a brief pause in the day for you to breathe in and breathe out a thank you to God and I love you, God. You breathe in, thank you, God, and breathe out, I love you, God. At other times, you may want to do something a little deeper. Offer praise to God, thanksgiving to God, confess something to God. Petition God for help on behalf of others. And lastly, yielding. Yielding means giving yourself up, sacrificing so that you can do something in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, I know what you're thinking. Five times a day, are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Look at the world around us. Do we think we need more or less prayer? Keith Green, who's a Christian music artist, often challenges Christians at his concerts to be a living and a walking prayer. That is, in all that you do and all that you say in your life, you're a living expression of praising God, giving thanks to God, confessing to God, yielding to God, offering petitions to God, saying thank you and I love you, God. Think of it this way. Christmas wasn't that long ago. Remember the movie, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen? And he started to get all the characteristics of Santa Claus, and he was walking down the street, looking at people in street clothes, and he's saying, nope, naughty, nice, not, and going down. It's like that in prayer. You can go down the street listening to your iPhone or your Android phone, or you can look around you. You might not know their circumstances, but that doesn't, and you might not even know their name, but pray for them. You could be at the line at Walmart or at the pharmacy. Pray for the person in front of and behind you. If you're willing to be a living, walking prayer person, I encourage you to take up that challenge of praying five times a day, but I want you to try this. Take your non-dominant hand, my non-dominant is left. So whatever your non-dominant hand is, take that. 
And I want you to think of things this way for this five times of prayer. I want you to think of your thumb on your non-dominant hand as soon as you get up in the morning. And that's the first time you're going to pray. Use your thumb to remind you on your non-dominant hand, I'm going to pray today, right now, as I get out of bed, as I'm in the shower, as whatever you're doing that morning, making the coffee. The next three fingers, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Say prayers. If you forget about praying before or after your breakfast, pray. Anytime around there. And the same with lunch and dinner. Pray. And your pinky represents when you go to bed at night. Say another prayer. There it is, right there. It's right in front of you. It always has been. It's a way to pray using your non-dominant hand. I'm encouraging you to do something different with your dominant hand. You make a fist. And that fist can be ominous because often when we think of doing this, we're thinking about fighting or defending ourselves, but I want you to think of it in a different way. Each finger on your dominant hand held together represents worshiping, praying, studying, serving, and giving and sharing in the community. That's all of us together right here. This is our individual prayer, our non-dominant hand. This is strength coming together as a community of faith, doing all of those things in worship and in prayer. Again, your non-dominant hand, unclenched, represents the five times that you're going to pray this Lent. And maybe even afterwards. And your dominant hand represents what we do each week here in a community of faith. By worshiping together each week, or as I challenged you, at least four out of the five times this month, you'll be in a path closer, walking with God, turning back to him, and making yourself a living hallelujah. Hallelujah is another way to say thank you and I love you, God. So do you accept the challenge? Will you walk that walk this Lent? We know what the world needs. We know what we need. Now it's up to us to pray, to worship, to give thanks to God, to say I love you, God, and to share that in the community. My prayer for you during this Lent is you accept those two challenges. You become not just a living, walking prayer machine, but a living, walking prayer and worship disciple, not just here on Sundays, but out in the community. Amen. As we come together as God's children, we, we do worship. And we worship the King, all glory above. Let's join together in our hymn, You May Remain Seated, number 73, O Worship the King. <laughs>